Kia ora, welcome to the Invisible Sensei podcast. I hope you're well wherever you're listening to this. Just want to do a quick shout out to our friends in the Cairns, Australia, who've been dropping some great messages and also on the Instagram account. You can find us on Instagram at Invisible Sensei. And thanks so much for getting in touch. I always enjoy it. And if you've got people that you want us to interview or you'd like to get on the podcast yourself or you'd just like to have a yak, um, you hit us up on Instagram at Invisible Sensei or on our Facebook page, the Invisible Sensei Podcast. Anyway, hope you're well. So with those commercials out of the way, I want to welcome our guest today. Now, um, I've had the honour and privilege of training with this particular gentleman a few times, and I have to be honest and say something, and he'd probably kick me, literally, for saying this, but I think that we were talking off the air before we started, and it's funny, once you see a thing, you can't unsee a thing, and I really enjoy his take on um, karate, on martial arts, on kobudo. Um, he's got a bit of a storied history, and, and in New Zealand, where, where we live, uh, you know, people always kind of talk about him in hushed, hushed tones. <laughs> but um, I want to welcome Sensei Derek English. So his parent organisation in Okinawa is the Okinawan Gojuru Bujutsu Kyokai under the late great Weihara Kuo Sensei. And his organisation for Gojuru in New Zealand is the Jiki Shinkan. And he is also the, uh, has the Shibu Dojo for Ryuku Kobudo Shimbukan. Uh, in New Zealand as well. So I first kind of heard about um, Derek English Sensei is back in the 90s as a bouncer <laughs> working in working in Hamilton and everyone would kind of talk to it, all the karate people talked about this guy, uh, Derek English, who was apparently doing a door and we're going, oh, that's that guy that lives in Okinawa and does karate and this and that. So that was my first introduction to him. But um, I was lucky enough to be introduced to him again by our mutual good friend, Mike Dombrowski-sensei. And um, I think that you're going to enjoy this interview. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And if English-sensei doesn't like it, uh, he'll just stop talking and give me a glee. You can't see you can't see him, but we're on a visual... We're on a visual uh, medium, so he can see me. So if he has a strange look, we listen eyebrow. I will stop talking. <laughs> but anyway, um, hey, thanks so much, Sensei, for making time to be part of the Invisible Sensei podcast. No problem. Mm. Um, so I guess I'm trying to think of questions that um, are not stereotypical, but I think for me, I'm just going to kind of d- dive straight in, and this could possibly be uh, part one of a two-part um, podcast, I'm thinking, because such great conversations. All right, Sensei. So let's cut to you going to Okinawa. Um, you were already um, a tournament, a, a, a fairly proficient tournament fighter. You were already a Yudansha when you went to Okinawa. Why did you go to Okinawa? What was it like when you first got there? And how much of a master were you when you walked through the door? Oh, the whys of it all. Um, I had a lot of questions. I've always had a very inquisitive mind. And my then instructor and and now colleague, uh, Terry Hill, Choshi Terry Hill, encouraged me to go to Okinawa and find those answers for myself. And so with a little recommendation, off I went. I was fortunate enough to get chosen for the Japanese Exchange Teachers Program, which was put out at that time. And I got a three-year contract to go and 
teach um, English in schools. And of course, I spent most of my time afterward, after school training. And um, of course, those three years turned into 12, ultimately. Mm -hmm. So it was a great, great experience and opportunity to get over there. And um, yeah, that's how I got over there. What was it like? Is that the next question? Yeah, let's just let's just keep going with that. I like that because this is actually one of my favourite parts of the story. Oh. Um, you're with the first time you walked into the dojo and sort of uh, that, that whole stuff is just is just awesome. Well, initially, I, I mean, I went to Hingona Dojo initially um, with my letter of introduction, but at that time he was living over in in, in America, and um, there was a man there. Um, his name was uh, Kamimura Takeshi Sensei. And up to that point, um, I'd never seen anyone as powerful as Higawana Sensei. And this guy was, was at that time, I thought, a very, a god. It was just amazing what he could do. Um, and he he came down. Um, the, the people at the dojo at the time who lived above it called him and he came down and he was there as Higawana's representative. They were his old schoolmates. And um, you'll see him actually, Takeshi Sensei, in a lot of Higawana Sensei's very old videos and books. But anyway, he took me to Waiara Dojo, which is where he trained in his spare time. And he took me through my paces and I just, I crawled out of there. My legs were shot. Uh, my arms were ruined. Blocking him was just incredibly painful. Um, yeah, um, the dojo itself was quite small and was decked with lots of materials and mucky water and all the hojo window stuff. Not, I didn't really know too much about a lot of that at that time. Um, but yeah, I was, I was ruined and I went back for a second helping of it um, the following day. And at that time, Wehara Sensei was there. And um, it was because it was his dojo and he, he observed. And um, at that time also, there were some other students and they asked me to demonstrate kata, which I did, and it wasn't terribly great. <laughs> and then they asked me to demonstrate fighting. And of course, as you mentioned, I, I was in the tournament circuit. And all that training I had gained from Joshi Terry Hill at that time served me very well. And I demolished all of those guys <laughs> quite quickly and horribly. Mm. Um, then, of course, after that, I, I felt really awesome. But then I got taken through all the Hojo Window stuff, and this was where um, basically where had a sense it broke my spirit. Um, I couldn't punch the Makuara. Um, I bled on it, and he just made it move, sing is how I imagine it. Just it sung through the air every time he hit it. Um, I couldn't pick up the jars, I couldn't pick up the chishi, I couldn't do the Congo can, I couldn't do the tan, and he just made it look so easy. And he was 70-ish at that stage, and I, I couldn't marry the idea of me being this you know this in my mind awesome yudansha and being just made to look silly in this puddle of sweat um by this old man and i think i went home and had a crisis <laughs> a bit of maybe even a bit of a cry and went back the next day with the white belt of course at the end of that session where i was just made to look pathetic um where had a sensei nodded to kamimura sensei and said yep he can train here and thus began my um, my uh, internship at Waihara Dojo, for which I am very grateful. No, I think okay, I think I'm going People who sent me on my way, so I was very lucky to actually get that chance because I wasn't supposed to be at that dojo. Mm. 
Um, since I'm just going to ask you for, to do me one favour. So there's a tapping going on there. What's happening is if you've got it set up, you've got your camera set up on a desk or something, and it's bouncing so I can hear a clipping, a, cl uh, a clicking. So um, if you could stop using the desk like a monkey water, that'd be great. <laughs> no, sorry, Sensei. Um, it's always interesting to me, you know, that when people think about Hojuondo and, and just training Hojuondo with you, if for those people who are not perhaps Okinawan Gojuru practitioners or, or Okinawan Karate practitioners, you most likely know, but Hojuondo is the study of the traditional implements, uh, implement supplemental training. Now, um, I came up in a tradition of doing Hojuondo, and again, I think a part of it was just kind of monkey see monkey do to a certain extent and one of the things which i find really interesting with your style of of hojundo that you've you obviously greatly influenced by waihara sensei was that you are one of the few people i've seen where everything that we seem to do with hojundo like um for instance uh nigirigami so nigirigami are those um grasping jars that you'll see in the little looking on videos the way in which you use that for suriyashi and, and just moving is completely different so when you approach Hojondo, what is your mindset and what are you trying to achieve? I guess in terms of your own training. And let me even break it down further. Before training with Waihara Sensei, what was your attitude to Hojondo? And post uh, coming back from Okinawa, what was your and what's your attitude towards Hojondo? Um, to be honest, um, I have no early recollection of knowing anything about Hojuunda until I went to uh, Okinawa. I do realise that after I um, had been in Okinawa, I developed muscles in my fingers and hands that I never knew I had, um, and in places I didn't think you could get strength. But um, yeah, prior to that, nothing whatsoever. Um, and embarrassingly, I didn't even know what to do with them once I had them in my hand. Um, and of course, that first year of uh, being a white belt at Waihara Dojo, um, I was only ever allowed to do the uh, hojuundo and the uh, jumbiundo, like just the exercises. And hojuundo, he, uh, every time I did kata, he'd walk out shaking his head. And I guess I was that terrible at it. So, um, uh, yeah, so foundational skills, a great deal. And it was also at that time he made me do uh, bow and tumpa as my foundation skills for. Um, caution, which is the use of the legs and waist to generate power, um, usually with very heavy items, not light ones. So I had a, a steel bow. The idea was with that was initially I'd be using my full arm strength, and once it had exhausted in lactic acid pain, I had to use my body to swing it. And ultimately, that's what he was after in the long run. Um, and I didn't have a lot of verbal explanation. So a lot of it had to come through example, and I was fortunate enough that he took the time to show me how things worked. So he broke things down to its simplest level because that's the only way I could understand it without that language. But mm. yeah, afterwards, uh, like I, learned, I knew a great deal about Hojuondo, but more um, as to the why we do things. There's, there's a reason and what it's building on. The idea being that on the hub of everything, are the Hojuendo implements and at the center is Sanchen and Sanchen is where you bring all of that learning into one kind of fundamental exercise. Mm, mm. Um, you know it's funny because I'm um, just for people who haven't seen English uh, Sensei, I, I'm about 6'4, 6'3, 6'4, 
Um, since has a, not quite that height, um, but five seven. I just measured myself. Five seven. Five seven. <laughs> um, and one of my, I mean, one. Of, it's really interesting, and we'll get into it a little bit. One of my first actual meetings with um, English sensei was that he came out to my house and, and came with our, our mutual good friend and martial brother, uh, Mike Dombrowski sensei. And of course, we just started talking about martial arts, and then it was just straight up, and we were doing uh, kaki. And and he and English sensei did this wonderful um, application from the opening of Sanchin that I've never seen. And uh, just in those few moments, I've, I've since then done a bit of kaki and and tugumi with him, and it's literally you can just feel you know when you meet people and they just have that, I guess, muchimi or that sort of, that centeredness, that kind of heaviness in their technique. Um, it was quite off-putting uh, for me as a, as a, as a quote-unquote big guy. Um, and really looking at tanden and the way that you move, it's quite, it's actually quite intimidating for a guy my size. And when you're talking about muscles in the hands, I mean, literal grip like I am. For, for, so, sensei, one of the things which I appreciate about your karate and is quite unique to me is the ch- uh, what I would typify is almost the Chinese-like way that you do gojuru. More so than any, I mean, we I think to a certain extent we all talk about you know uh, karate came from originally came from China and so on and so forth. And but your karate is very. I would I would even go so far as to say very circular and more moving towards there's a well let me just say there's a Chinese influence in that how, where does that come from and is that a conscious thing is it something that came from the training is it some a decision that you've made where does it come from Sensei? Oh yeah that's big a, question. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a really big question. Um, so just finishing off that last. Thing with Hojo Window, um, it, and you brought it up in the second comments. Um, tanden, everything's about tanden, um, and that heaviness. Um, even just talking about Muchimi is another conversation altogether, but yeah, that so tanden, all, all tanden centric. And Hojo Window is what brought me to an understanding of what that actually was, um, in terms of how the Okinawans understood it in their day, back in, the, back in day one. But of course, nowadays we just—I just use the word "core" because it allows more people to understand it more readily, more quickly, and, and grasp the whole idea of it. Um, moving through that, yeah, ch- the more Chinese circular side of things. Um, we'll come to the circular. Um, like today, I find a lot of the gojuru that's practiced today very hard, um, and, and 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 more more towards. The, yeah, well, I've heard it described as Goju-ru as hard and soft, and so you know I, I disagree with that idea of it. And I see it as people just turning on a lot of hard majority for the majority of the time, and then now and again they'll throw something in there and call it soft. Um, and that that works. It's very powerful. It's very strong. You can do dynamic things, but of course, if you're not built with that physicality, it's just not going to work for you. And um, you're kind of lying to yourself if you think you're going to do anything to anyone larger than yourself. Um, I like the fact that being smaller than yourself, or even um, that even smaller people with smaller frames, myself, can still generate power and technique and move and topple people larger than themselves solely with technique. And that I means the circularness of Goju has always been there, and, if you, and the Hojo Endo um, promotes that. And so that circularity and, and technical 
movement's always been there. As far as the chinification of our style, um, well, yeah, you, brought, you brought it up just a moment ago that all, all the masters eventually went back to China to answer their own questions. I mean, me, I went to Okinawa to answer my questions. Um, well, Wei sensei decided um, that he didn't really like the path that Chojin Miyagi took. Um, and then he went, started looking at Kando sensei, and then he just went straight back to China. And it was at that time that he forged a relationship with um, Tomotsumi Hira-sensei um, and his wife, Songli. Um, amazing, amazing people. Um, Songli, tiny woman, the power she can generate. Um, she made everyone at Weihara Dojo wince from when she kicked she kicked them. They couldn't touch her, catch her. The husband, um, Tomotsu-sensei, a, a large guy by Okinawan standards. And um, the power he could generate was frightening. Just really didn't want to partner with him. <laughs> um, but that interaction between the two and Weihara-sensei's journey into finding the meaning behind Gojiru and its movements, and that was where I was a part of that, that relationship as well. Mm. I did the Chinese Kempo myself in Tai Chi for a while. Um, but ultimately, I decided to just focus on learning secondhand all of this, all of the stuff where the sensor was going through because he needed people to demonstrate on, and the best way to learn something is to really be the, the guinea pig or the crash test dummy of the person trying to decipher it all. And that, of course, is how I learnt my way of drawing conclusions about bunkai or reaching that the point of discovery. And also appreciating that the journey is is ours and ours alone, with given the tools that we have. So um, yeah, I was fortunate, but that's it. Um, the whole thing about Weira Sensei's karate was about making it stronger, um, and he took that path. Now, if you go to Weira Dojo, it's even gone that step higher, and it's even more um, along the Chinese movement lines. And for myself, that's kind of a next level thing. So when I go to Okinawa, that's what I intend to like step up a lot of my learning there beyond what I already know. Mm. Does that help? No, that's brilliant. That's big brilliant question, sorry. Yeah, so big question. So it's probably put a little bit larger on the question side. Now, I want to move, if we may, Sensei, <clears throat> um, really quick, well, not really quickly, but I want to talk about how, a little bit about, uh, and what I'm realising when we're doing this, this is, this is going to be a two-parter. I've got to get you for another hour because I could probably get you for another five hours. But um, I'll be smaller questions. Yes. Smaller questions. Not going to happen. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, when we one of, one of the things which is really interesting to me is like as, as I said at the outset of the interview, I've heard about um, sense of English from people who I regard as um, good. Uh, karate practitioners here in New Zealand with a with a with a great pedigree, a great lineage. I mean, and for me, how I actually got to meet um, yourself was that I was running um, me and uh, two friends of mine, Sensei uh, David Redaway and Sensei Josh Scanlon. We created created a gashuku basically, and it was called um, Gorgeous Guys. Now the idea of that is that you know people of different styles and um, affiliations trained together sort of without an agenda which is in itself was kind of a, a crazy concept these days but what amazed me was that I mean you're by far and away um, uh, my senpai and that you were prepared to you, you you got straight on the email and says yep I'm keen to come and that you were totally open to coming in and just being there on the day 
um, participating purely as a student. Um, and I was quite bloody, um, if I'm being honest, I was quite bloody intimidated by having you in the house. I mean, but then meeting you and sort of seeing that you literally believe that everyone's got something to teach. So that is a, that is a context. So for you as a karate practitioner and as quite a senior karate practitioner, especially in New Zealand, what is it about, what gets you to a place where you can go to something like that as a, and with a completely open mind and, and a completely... Um, you know, open to the experience. Where, where is that? Where does that come from? Where do, what is? What are your thoughts on that? Um. Well, when I was when I was over in, in Okinawa, I, I did a, a fair few different styles, just to augment my own learning because I didn't know things. So I did some kendo, I did some naginata, I did some tai chi, I did some shorinju, did some wushu. Um, or to fill in those gaps of my knowledge um, that I didn't have and, and make me a better training partner when I went back to went back to the dojo. And um, one of my big things was just discovering how power was generated within the different styles. Bringing that back with my other learning is that you don't know everything and there's a, everyone has a thing, maybe a piece of that universal jigsaw puzzle that will help me fill in the gap. So going along to the Goju guys, I saw that it was a great opportunity to experience what others have learnt and be in an, an environment of like-minded thinkers. And I really appreciated the environment was just so respectful and acknowledged everyone's um, prior learning. Um, everyone was able to share. And I learnt a lot, um, not only on how to um, to put forth ideas in a, in, a, in a safe environment where everyone felt included, but just listening and appreciating the amount of knowledge people had on their niche subject, it was, it was great. Um, I actually really enjoyed right at the end, um, Murray Simpson's sensei's discussion on, on Carter and realizing that, A, he had this much passion for his field and um, he just knew so much and stuff I didn't know. And I was just plucking out of everyone's contribution, plucking out those tidbits, those gold nuggets to go back and, you know, pan and, and polish <laughs> and just glean something that can make myself understand things that I still had questions about. I mean, mm. the roads are never, never over. Mm. Well, it's, you know, interesting. And, and just, and having said that too, guys, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't my, uh, that wasn't a segue to, uh, now word from our sponsors, the Goju guys. <laughs> and thank you for that, Sensei. It was actually an honour to have the likes of yourself and um, um, Sen and Sensei and um, Sensei Murray there. It was, it was a huge honour for us. But I think, leaving the gorgeous guys aside, <laughs> the way in which you approach that sort of situation and you know the way in which you tend to approach karate, who are the people that, you know, because with social media, Karate is quite well known, especially on YouTube and so on. Who are the people that you look at and you go, yeah, I, oh, what, what am I trying to say? Who impresses you? Who's, who, who, you know, there's a number of people who do karate, not just called judo. Who are the people that you go, yeah, I like where they're at, I like what they're doing. And I'm not asking for a personal commentary. I guess, what is it that you like when you're watching someone else do karate? What flicks you on? Okay, what, what normally, um, and I have my go-tos for um, for what I require to keep myself current with knowledge. 
But in terms of when I'm flicking through, there's just so much available, and, it, and it's it's great to see that. But what I'm looking for is their process, their thinking process, how they how they come to an idea, um, and without naming, you know, the site to go to. Um, also, how they interact with the person on the other side. You can tell a lot of about how a person is just by the way they approach you as, as the audience. Um, but I really just go for where they're at and I can just visual, I can visualize their mind ticking over points and whether they, in my opinion, get it wrong or nail it, um, I still appreciate that, that they've gone to that much effort. And that for me separates the different darn grades. It's where you are, it's not by what you can mimic and reproduce, but where you are mentally and um, yeah, I won't use the word spiritually, but that's where you are in, in your journey mm. is um, dictates which group you should belong to in terms of a, a downgrade. You know, mm. like yeah, I hope that's answered that question. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's what, stuff, and that's what I'm looking for is just how they do things. Yeah. Okay, so just shifting gears a little bit. Um, one of the things that um, your well, I guess it's not something you walk around with a t-shirt on, but um, you're that you're kind of one of I would I would call one of the groundbreakers in terms of kubudo in New Zealand there's lots of pra- practitioners of the kubudo but you were probably one of the first ones that I'd ever heard of um, traditional Okinawan kubudo with the, through the Shimbukan lineage where does kubudo fit in terms of your karate what is it about kubudo that does kubudo inform your karate or is it completely separate Oh no, Kabuto's done a, a great um, is, is a great service for my development of my Goju Ryu and understanding of it. I mean, initially, um, it was something I learned through Wehara Dojo, um, of course, and when he was a part of the Ryuki Kabuto Hodong Shinkoka at that time. Um, and when I came back to New Zealand, initially, I used it as a way to get in and meet other people because going in as a karate person usually got politically shunned, but go with Kabuto and they let you in the doors and then I get to train with people. And um, that was great. Then of course, as I got, people started asking me questions about Kabuto, I started to investigate it myself. So what I use Kabuto fundamentally for, for my go, for my Gojuru is um, Tanden, Koshu, being able to drain my entire upper body of tension or strength. So I get the heaviness and weightedness um, and explosiveness when I need it. Um, I learned a great deal about pinning, which is fundamental to go do as a close and grappling art. So being able to pin, mm. um, I learned that all from all Kabuto, because mm. Kabuto was predominantly with their short weapons, about pinning weapons, and then um, um, taking the person out with the other weapon. Mm. So, those, so yeah, very, those are my fundamental core things I gained from Kabuto. Mm. But other than that, um, Kabuto and, and Karate just go hand in hand with the Okinawan culture. If you can do both, you're doing yourself a service. If you're not, that's fine. But you'll find in Okinawa, most Karate styles have a Kabuto component. Mm. And more so now with uh, Hiroshi Sensei, um, they respect him so much over there, they send everyone to him. Um, he's a great man. Mm. Wow, um, 
and I think you know it's been really cool. I mean, I've had an opportunity to do um, kupudo at a very rudimentary level for my small brain um, with Sensei uh, English um, and some some great freestyle drills as well. And it, it sorry, Sensei. The fighting is fun. The fighting is fun. Um, just, you know, if I can go back to the um, uh, Gorgeous Guys seminar, did it yeah. bother you that I asked everyone to call me a, a great grandmaster? Was that sort of an issue of contention or were you able to sort of, was that okay? Yeah, I felt that was appropriate to the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, because I'm going to add to it for next year's seminar. Um, yeah. Now, for me, one of the things that I've been encouraging Sensei English to do, um, and that he is not, I don't want to say reticent, but you know, he just, his whole thing, your whole thing is about training. Um, as I feel that when I go, when I when I train and a group of us get to train with you, we kind of walk away, and it's not one of those situations where you're overloaded, but you're just going off in a whole, a whole lot of different directions. So for you teaching a seminar, I mean, like I've been to, you know, I think we've all been to a lot of seminars. One of the things that I find difficult about seminars is like let's go in and do a thousand push-ups and do line training and then do a thousand, a million basics, all things which you could do at home in your own dojo at any time. So with you and the way that you like to teach and do gashuku and do training, um, what is it What is it that you try to impart when you're doing um, gashuku or you're doing that sort of level of training, especially with the yudancha? Okay, um, yeah, that's, we've touched, we touched on this a bit in our, in our pre, prelim chat about the building of ladders and that. Um, predominantly, I'm looking at providing the framework and tools for every individual to then walk away and grow and develop their own style of Gojuru. Of course, you can take these tools and apply them to any form of karate or kaguru, of course, because they're just fundamental ideas of practice. But ultimately, once you know, I embrace the whole concept of shuhari, once you get to the D stage, it's about developing your gojuru. That's why there are so many different styles. Of it. But yeah, I'm just providing those tools and the framework to allow you to go forward and do that without feeling that you're going to be struck down by lightning for for doing so. Um, appreciating that your ideas do have weight and maybe just need to be shifted or moulded or further polished, that your voice is welcome and is part of the greater building blocks of what we're doing. So, um, and as you said, rather than providing the ladder, provide you with the tools to build your own. But um, of course, sometimes that means going right back to basics and just looking at why things exist, why why do we do these things, and what things are we doing that are actually redundant, just should be seen as supplementary and not as foundational. But um, I, in the seminar, I do work on feedback. So I like the personal interaction with the students. If they have a question, then we can usually look at that and just explode it out and see where that where the answer for that question just filters and filtrates into every aspect of Gojuru. So, Mm. Yeah, no, and, and I can sort of attest to that too. I mean, I've been doing training with um, Sensei for a, for a short time, but um, every time I walk away from it, I mean, you know, me and my um, our friend Mike Dombrowski, we actually sort of get left in the wake of of this these experiences, and we're trying to practice stuff, and it's actually quite hilarious to watch us try and hazard our way through it. But I think that for me, with 
Um, I'm really glad that one of the things that you're looking at doing is doing some gashuka. I know you, a lot of people kind of um, sought, um, you're sought after, but I mean, I guess sort of just, you know, as life is, life is what life is and with work and balancing family and so on and so forth, you can't often get to it. So it's exciting to me that you're putting that out. I mean, the synthesis one of karate, the connection to the Chinese martial arts, the again the connection the other side of the coin of being kobudo and how you bring all that together with hojo and all that sort of stuff is actually really exciting so when you're you've come you've got we were talking as you say in the prelim chat one of the things that you've got that a lot of people don't and that no one can argue with and you're not the person who said this i'm i'm putting you in it a little bit with this is that you've got a pretty amazing lineage both training with one of new zealand's most prominent martial artist as a student, Sensei Terry, who was a, who was a trailblazer in the martial arts, really. I mean, he was a fighter. Uh, Muay Thai, kickboxing, sambo, sunshell, all, all the stuff that he's done, gone and competed into a very, very high level and done extremely well. I remember watching him with, I don't know if you remember Sensei Bill Colston um, from Invercargill back in the day. I, the first kickboxing tournament that I ever went to and competed in, um, he was there doing a um, exhibition match in which he just totally demolished his opponent. Um, I think his opponent got a little bit kind of carried away, so you paid the price for that. It was also a red letter. It was also the start of my tournament career because um, I got knocked out and I think there was it was an actual record for that tournament. Um, so yeah, I always remember that tournament really well. But no one can argue with your pedigree. And yet, you're getting to a certain point when we train together where one of your big bugbears, if I can call it that, is dogma. And where dogma sits in the martial arts. And, and how do you think, from your perspective, how do you feel dogma negatively impacts the study of karate, kobudo, uh, ken, whatever martial art you're doing. What is what is dogma and, and what's the negative impact of it? Okay, just um, before I answer that, I thought I'd just take a quick step back into something you said, um, just regarding Joshi uh, Jerry Hill. Um, to be fair, if I he gave me the tools of, of combat and to appreciate what was real and what was BS, so without that, I probably would have gone gone over to Okinawa quite doe-eyed and just believed anything. And if I'd ended up in a different dojo, probably would have believed everything that was given to me on a plate. Um, so yeah, with, that was probably fundamental to my being able to accept what was being done as just being a waste of time or something that was truly real. So and a lot of things over the years have still stuck with me. I mean, the way I do the partial fighting with both Gojuru and um, Kobito, it's, it's that's his his trademark technique, partials. Um, the idea when I talk about negatives and voids, that, that that's that's his um, ideas as well. A lot of his stuff comes through on how I perceive fighting mm. um, and how things you know, along that line. So yeah, but just a just to reference that um, dogma. Um, just have a. Did you want to maybe just explain? to the audience what you interpret as being dogma. Okay, so... And I'll go on from there. Dogma to me is living with the consequences of other people's beliefs. So it's someone arriving at a conclusion and a conclusion they'd arrive at either personally or professionally, I guess personally in this in this regard, and then go, well, that's the way it is. And what it is is 
dogma is the belief that I can only walk up to the level that that person in front of me is from. Um, for me, one of the things that I guess it's this thing in martial arts where people live with the limitations of the people who they perceive to be of a higher rank and don't kind of push past that. And that that worries me. Um, one of the things that you don't do is that's never your thing. It's not your bag, um, if I can quote Austin Powers. Um, <laughs> um, your whole thing is about making suggestions and, and, open, and opening people up. So yeah, dogma, where does it sit for you? Okay, so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not at all into the cult of, of karate um, that breeds what? followers. Um, I guess I brought this up before. People look up the look up the concept of Shu Hardi. Um, that's been fundamental to martial arts for a great deal of time. Um, it's just changed recently that we have to toe the line and, and toe a very <clears throat> kind of a, con- a conservative and consecutive thought process regarding to to karate where you basically rehash the Q grade training system for the rest of your life regardless of what level of yudanshin you are um whereas that that's not the correct process so you know i don't believe in dogma i believe initially you accept that 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 those that formal training framework to bring your body and mind into the process of what's going on and then about shodan level you, you forge those together then after that you're putting more of the deeper ideas and, and also coming to terms with what's going on with the style itself and then after that you, you break that and you step out and start formulating these ideas and your sensor becomes your advisor and he helps you formulate those ideas even if they're not really in line with what they're doing but he'll help you mold and then he'll just send you on your way as a as a cure sheet to develop these thoughts further with your own students mm. and um and remain forever um, your advisor and as part of a greater family of ideas so yeah i'm about empowering everyone to step out and take part in that journey so uh, to a certain point up the up the buddha mountain you're traveling your own path and you'll intersect those pathways with other travelers but at, at the end of the day it's, it's you that's going to reach the summit summit and you can appreciate and respect the, what, all the, all the journey and the history and the people you've gone with. And at the end of the, end of the day, you, you reach that summit. And, it's, and if you're fortunate and you get there, you'll meet those other people that made that same journey. So yeah, I'm about empowering your own idea process and you finding the truth about your martial, art, your martial arts within yourself. So uh, yeah, empowerment. No. Uh, Brilliant. Brilliant. Um... Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I'm not about any of those things. For me, I'm trying to create an um, international organisation of people who will bow down to me. Um, that's really where I'm at. I want, I guess, I guess I want the opposite of what all that good stuff. I want people to go, they couldn't possibly ever reach me, and thus they will never pass me and make me uh, look at look at myself and my own development. So yeah, that's what I'm going for. Um, I, I, had, I had this one argument with... Um where had a sensor, one of only a handful. And it was that we had to do a demonstration of Naha Matsuri down, down the street, of Naha, Naha's main street, doing some kata. And I wanted to do this particular application when I was doing my two-man drill, and he's, and he's, which involved a headbutt and um, something else. And he says, no, you can't do that because 
And I said, why? And, and it's because the public can't see it. You need something more obvious and dynamic. And, I, and, I, and then I said to them, well, they're, why? They're not at home thinking about my karate and how I'm doing. They don't care about what I'm doing. At the end of the day, it's just me. And, um, and to be fair, later on in life, he, he took that same, um, that same stance. Chris Karate's about him, and if you weren't happy with what he was doing, see you later. But um, yeah, um, and, uh, there was a point I was coming back to on that, but yeah, it's um, that individual journey that you share with like-minded individuals that help you grow, and you build that camaraderie of respect. And I enjoy training with yourself and Mike, and um, here Clive, and, um, and Dave, and uh, Rick over in Oz, and Ralph, because they have that mindset, they're hungry for knowledge, they want to grow, and they're happy to do it in a respectful environment with others, mm. where no one's wrong. Um, and everyone feeds each other's ideas. We come away feeling happy that, no, we weren't wrong, our ideas were great, and we were on the right track, mm. and we're responsible for our own journey. So, I don't know, it's just empowering. No, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I've certainly found it. It's been interesting because it is a, there's a, a fair amount of introspection, I think, goes into... When I've trained with you, there's a fair amount of introspection in the sense that you kind of... I think in the beginning, it's this thing of my experience is that you're frightened to make offers because you're so used to them being rebutted and people coming... Like, one of the things you never, you've never said, which I appreciate, and I see it with a lot with... I'm not just junior practitioners, but especially with you, don't you? They're, they preface the, what they're about to say with, well, in our dojo, in our style, we do it this way. And we may be doing exactly the same style. So they don't talk in terms of general terms around Gorjuru. I think for me as a Gorjuru practitioner, that there are general terms that apply irrespective of which particular yeah. lineage or style of Gorjuru you're doing. Um, and I've never heard you start with, well, in, in uh, our dojo, we, we do it like this and that. And it's, it's a refreshing thing. So... Um, if people if people come to a seminar with you, come to a Gashuka with you, what can they expect to walk away with? <laughs> Headache. Um, <laughs> Headache. <laughs> um, what I what I really enjoy is that look in people's eye when they rediscover why they got into Gojira in the first place. That joy of of like, shit, I've got it. Oh, I, I've got that now. Just, I like it when, I would just seem, seem to be cliche, but, you know, falling in love with Gojiru again. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've had my moments and then I've had these epiphanies and I'm going, oh my God, I'm on the right track. And I've just felt so elated. And I see that in people's mind when something goes click mm. and they're really happy. Um, one of our earlier trainings, when um, you're, um, the, the woman that was with us training was able to shift you and move you. Um, and there was real joy there, you know. Mm. Um, and I see that, and I mean, I have it myself because I mean, what I'm doing is is, is, is working, and then and the, the whole concepts are truly mm. correct. I do believe in the proof test proof method, mm. but it doesn't work against you, Tari. It's probably rubbish. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I've got to just just actually take uh, take umbrage of what you just said. These things, so, yeah, it might have been. It was it was funny for for uh, Sharon Sensei, but I tell you what, it wasn't fun for me. I mean, she moved me in hell. And then it was that proof, test, proof thing. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm good at breakfalls and there's a reason because I spend so much time falling. Um, but, you know, I certainly, it's, it's interesting because I've had that moment 
in our training where I've gone, oh, actually, because I think you get to a certain point as you dance where you're, especially if you're teaching a lot, where you kind of go, am I just, am I in the right place? Am I just practicing mistakes or am I just going through the motions? So I think for me, one of the things that I really recommend is when we, when I train with you, I come away going, I think about, you know, it's about different streams of inquiry, but it's also about going, hey, I, you know, I'm I'm in the territory and that I can grasp this. Um, there's certain things that I've walked away from gone, actually, I'm not doing that anymore because it's just, it, you know, you've shone a light on something. and not. I think it's that thing goes back to a good teacher will tell you, will show you where to look, but not tell you what to see. And I think that's one thing that I really enjoy about your teaching style. Um, and also, I mean, I think it's this crazy thing where... Now going back to that dogma thing, where I, I make the I want to make go back to that dogma thing for a minute, and that I think people often mistake tradition for dogma, and I guess if I put it into a Maori context for myself, it's when people don't understand the cultural get cultural values and the cultural uh, mindset mixed up with um, dogma. And I think those two things are quite can be quite separate things. I mean, the, you know, the conversations we've had about your because you're over there for so long in Okinawa for so long, you know, your um, I guess recollections and just sort of insights to your own training really changed the way that I see karate and the culture of karate. And I think for me, sometimes people are so quick to make um, judgments. I was I was watching a conversation the other day and. There was a particular chap making generalizations about Okinawan karate. He'd never done Okinawan karate, he'd never done karate full stop. And I was kind of going, yeah, it's quite, kind of like turning, I and mean, he's making, I, I felt quite racist references, very stereotypical, um, uh, you know, Asian, Japanese, Chinese references, which, I, you know, um, which offended me, to be totally honest, um, on a lot of levels. But I think that the culture, the culture, and the culture of karate can be quite can be quite different. Um, I certainly have seen a lot of style bias here in New Zealand and Australia and places like that. But what's really refreshing is that people are starting to move away from that. So, in terms of we're coming to the end of our time, and what I want to do, Sensei, is I'd like to invite you to continue this conversation. So I'm going to call this number one. But I want to get, I guess, give you the last word. Um, if you're a your dancer who's out there teaching or just practicing doing your own thing, what's your message to them so they're kind of looking, it's one of those times where they open the they open the wardrobe door and there's their gi and they're going, ugh, they're starting to get that point where they think it's over or their body hurts or they've got nothing more to learn or it just it represents sort of a door, uh, it represents a wall rather than a door. What was, What's your advice to those, um, your dancer? Oh, crikey. Uh, <laughs> what a question. Because uh, <laughs> that, you know, I've, I've been there, you know, more, more than once I've, I've been there. Um, oh, crikey. Um, it's really, you've just got to really dig down, eh, and, and, and ask yourself why you got into this in the first place. Um, maybe it's the time that you kind of have to ask yourself have you been looking in the wrong place um and maybe you need to find 
another starting point. Um, that's where social media is great because there's so much out there. And sometimes just being a part of the enthusiasm and vigor of other practitioners sharing what they know um, can just rekindle in, in you that, that, that feeling of why you started Goju in the first place or Karate Full Stop or Martial Arts. Um, and also, then maybe they're talking about things that you'd postulated and they're still here and nothing's been, you know, they haven't been struck down by a lightning bolt or thinking outside the box. Maybe it's time for you to walk away from whatever is holding you back and that could be the cult or dogma that you're actually strapped with. Um, independent, being independent, you know, like, you know, like yourself, to, into, um, to a degree myself, is sometimes a scary thing, but if it's if you want to get ahead with your own martial art development, sometimes you just have to step out of that box. You need to have a continuously inquiring mind. Once you're no, once you can't absorb any more of that, once you're no longer teachable, that's really it. And moving ahead, if you for development and growth, the three things you need is you need to be a teacher, student, and the training partner. Miss any one of those, and you're gonna you're gonna cap pretty quick, you're going to stunt yourself. Mm. Um, your teacher, student and a training partner, you need to have that dynamic going in your life in order to grow and develop in martial arts. Mm. No, that's brilliant, Sensei. Um, I think probably it gets to a certain point where, you know, as you say, we all get to that burnout point. Um, I know for me, one of the things which has been really cool is that, you know, meeting instructors like yourself who... I guess are on that path of inquiry too and they invite you to have that sort of mentality and also to just approach more normal human beings I mean I've been I've met people who have your level of I guess formal title and training and grading who very much stand on ceremony I mean if you get if you get an opportunity guys and, and I've kind of put Sensei on the, the on the spot with this a little bit with some of these questions um, to train with him what you will notice is a complete lack of um, what's the word a complete lack of I guess the formality um, a complete lack of that kind of like I am sensei and you are this it's literally hey guys how you going okay uh, what do you want to do <laughs> and then we kind of go from there and it, which is a refreshing and sometimes intimidating change because people who are not at that place where they've gone, I've never actually been asked the question, I've just been told, can be quite intimidating. But if you're wanting to take that next step, especially as a senior Yudancha, I mean, it's, it, I've seen it happen, it's happened in me, and that the light comes on and you go, oh, I'm, and I'm not talking about so much oh, you've, it's, a, it's a bunkai that you've never seen but it's a way of viewing bunkai karate hojondo kobudo and how it all relates that um, gets that light going it certainly has been the case for me I know for Sensei Don Broski is the same and I don't doubt um, all those wonderful students you have in Australia New Zealand there's, there's, you know, it's, it's, but what I'm hoping is that people will take an opportunity guys I'm really encouraging you to check out uh, Sensei English. I'm going to put some links to his page. I encourage you to get hold of him. Um, if you can get him for a seminar once the COVID thing kind of drops, I completely encourage it. And um, also, if you can say that you would like him to use me as his uke because I you know, I love getting knocked around. The best way to learn is Sensei said. I'm just trying to emulate him. Um, then do so. I'm going to put a link to Sensei's page 
I'm going to encourage him to come back in the very near future before we get to podcast. I think this is podcast, oh, I'm thinking this is 98. So I might ask him to come back in the next two or three just because there's so many more questions. Um, guys, thank you so much for, for, for listening. Uh, Sensei, thank you so much for your time. I know you. I know we're all kind of in a lockdown mode. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping that you'll come back and looking forward to training with you again in the very near future. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, don't forget you can hit us up on Instagram, Invisible Sensei on Instagram, on our Facebook page, the Invisible Sensei Podcast. And I, like I said, I will put links to so you can communicate directly with uh, English Sensei. Well worth, well worth it. Thanks, guys.